I just didn't want to be that irritating person who won't eat the meat unless I know where it comes from. So I started saying to people, I only eat animals, I kill myself. Hi, welcome to Soho House's Food Summit, a series of food-orientated talks taking place here at Soho Farmhouse. I'm Louise Gray, and today in my talk, I'll be unpacking the ethics of meat eating by exploring the growing trend of knowing the provenance of your food and arguing that if you follow this idea to its logical conclusion, you should, perhaps, like me, be killing the meat you eat. Thanks a lot for coming, everyone, on a rainy day. Just to get a sense of the audience, are there any vegans here? One, two, couple. Any vegetarians? Someone over there? Yeah, okay, that would be weird if there were none. And is there anyone who eats meat but possibly feels concerned about where it's from? They try to pay attention to labels and they feel like they want to know more. Yeah, so that's most people, actually. And that was me when I started writing this book. My name's Louise Gray and the book's called The Ethical Carnivore. And I thought to start, I'd just tell you why I did what I did because it was quite an extreme move. But basically, I was environment correspondent on the Daily Telegraph newspaper. So every day I was interviewing scientists about climate change and where we're going. And you're probably familiar with the statistics. But actually, we push them to one side. Because if we, head, if we carry on business as usual, then we're heading for four degrees. The hurricanes we've seen in the last few weeks in Bangladesh and Texas, there is an argument they're caused by climate change. So it's already happening And I was interviewing these scientists every day and concerned about what I could do myself to bring down my carbon footprint. And I knew that the easiest thing I could do was stop eating meat. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the statistic that livestock emits more greenhouse gases than all the world's planes, trains and automobiles put together, which is quite shocking when you think about it. And that's because of the energy in raising the animals and transporting them and processing them, but also the methane. A lot of people think it's cow farts, but it's actually the burps. And that's a stronger greenhouse gas. So that's why it's such an important factor. And then there are other environmental factors that you might be familiar with through films like Cowspiracy, but they can really depress you. Talking ocean dead zones, deforestations, a lot of that can be laid at the door of livestock if you're going to look at it from an extreme sense. But I'm also a farmer's daughter and I spend quite a lot of time in the countryside and here in Soho House you just need to look out the window behind you and you can see hedgerows which have been designed to keep animals in. The whole countryside is designed for the maintenance of livestock and what would happen to that if we didn't have animals? So I was also aware and I personally felt that there were benefits. Things like the landscape I've mentioned, uh, but also pests. I'm pretty sure that Soho House will be controlling rabbits, possibly grey squirrels. Deer are controlled around here. I know they are because we're eating some later. Pigeons, because they've been eating the crops. So what do we do with those animals? And then there's the argument of animals that can be fed our waste, like pigs, so perhaps we can make use of them. That's called default livestock. And Carbon storage, I've already mentioned how many emissions we get from livestock, 
But a lot of permanent pasture actually stores carbon and a lot of that land's too steep or too wet to grow anything else. So perhaps that's a good use of it to convert that grass to protein. But I didn't want to be that person. And I'm sure you're all familiar with this. Perhaps I've got my audience wrong, but you might have been to a dinner party where everyone discusses where the meat is from. But I just didn't want to be that irritating person who asks to see the label or, you know, is rude to the hostess because I won't eat the meat unless I know where it comes from. So I started saying to people, I only eat animals, I kill myself. Just because it was a better way of saying vegetarian. But I got this extraordinary response, especially from a certain kind of metropolitan male who was fascinated on how I could get meat myself. So I thought, people don't know where meat's from. I'm going to spend a year only eating animals I kill myself. The first thing I started with was oysters and shellfish. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Oysters stabilise the seabed and they actually filter the water. So you could argue it's good for the environment to eat shellfish. And actually in California, there are people called Ostra-vegans and they don't eat any other animal products other than shellfish because they judge that that's good for the environment. The other thing I did was fishing. How many people here have fished and caught fish, maybe even killed it? Yeah. So it's not that uncommon and it's such a lovely way to connect with the environment. You don't just need to understand what's happening under the water. You just need to understand what the flies are doing, where they are in their life cycle, the weather. And you have to be still and silent, which we don't have many opportunities to do in this day and age. Four million people in Britain are anglers. It's a really important way for a lot of people to connect to nature. And it's made me start to think about how food, and especially meat and how we source it, connects us to the landscape and to animals. We're part of it. We are animals. So um, I started to think about that. But I didn't want to be um, naive. Most of the fish we eat is five species, cod, haddock, tuna, salmon and prawns. And two-thirds of the ocean are overfished because we're just fishing in in the wrong way. And I'd urge you all to go to Billingsgate Market and see some of the other species we can eat, perhaps in a more sustainable manner. I also looked at fish farming, which sounds like a good solution to the overfishing of the oceans... But I wonder, is anyone aware of what the biggest food export is from Britain? Can you take a guess? It's farmed salmon. Absolutely massive. We're, we're farming tonnes of it in the north of Scotland. And as a consequence, our, our wild trout, wild sea trout, and our wild salmon is really suffering because they catch diseases from the salmon farms where there's tens of thousands of salmon kept in cages. It is changing and it is getting better. There's a label called the Aquaculture Stewardship Council, which is a good idea, but there's only one salmon farm that has it. So it shows, personally, I think that perhaps it could be sustainable, but it's got a long way to go. But I couldn't just stick with slippery animals. I had to go for beautiful furry animals. And the first animal I shot was a rabbit. And I cried. And the gamekeeper I was with cried. (laughs) And it was all a bit of a disaster, frankly. When you take responsibility for killing an animal, it's really difficult. And I never really lost that or stopped feeling that. And that was really at the heart of the book was uh, my feeling that we all should take responsibility, not by doing it ourselves, but by understanding. So people say to me, well, why did you continue? And it's because the people I was with didn't think were bad people. Like the people who took me out and taught me how to use a gun and ate rabbit and pigeon and deer, they were really good people. They were living in a really sustainable way. So I wanted to learn from them. So I continued to learn how to shoot a rifle. And I ate grey squirrel. I tried to eat one from my friend Kirsten's garden, but I bottled it. So (laughs) I also did some shotgun shooting, which is more difficult. I guess we're in a really big area for 
pheasant shooting here, actually. And I wanted to explore it because I knew I'd be attacked for it. It's really hard to describe it as ethical. The animals are bred in cages and then released to be shot. But I find it a very interesting part of our culture. Two-thirds of farmland is used for shooting as well. And there are good shoots and bad shoots. So there are shoots where there are just a few birds shot. It's very social. The RSPB has said that some shooting estates actually manage the land really well for wildlife. And there are ones where there are thousands shot and the, the birds are wasted. So I feel like we should have more argument of good and bad rather than just dismissing it. Or just eat pheasant roadkill. Like in November, there will be hundreds soon. Just check the breasts out. It's really easy. There's more advice in the book. And uh, finally, I went stalking a red deer with my dad. That was more an emotional experience because dad's done that all his life. And I had to ask myself, was I doing it? Trying to press my dad, trying to make a point about women and men and hunting. But actually, it wasn't about that. It was about me and the deer and nothing else. This whole experience was quite a growing up process. You know, you have to take responsibility yourself. But I didn't want to just stick with hunting and shooting because that's a nice idea. And I keep on referring back to this because I just think it, I hope it comes up in questions. It's so fascinating that we're here in Soho Farmhouse and a particular idea of the countryside. And I really want to talk about the reality. And the reality is that we eat one billion animals a year and most of them are farmed uh, intensively. So I wanted to investigate that. And the first thing I looked at was chickens. We eat 2.2 million chickens a day. Anyone who eats chickens, do you eat free range? Yeah. Yeah, everyone eats free range, but yet 95% of chicken is barn reared. So do the best. I think a lot of it is ending up in processed food. And I went to see inside a chicken farm. I also went to an RSPCA chicken farm because I wanted to look at whether there are different levels. Because, you know, if you buy an organic chicken, it's sometimes four times the age of an intensive chicken. So it's rather than being 30 days old, it'll be 80 days old. Sorry, my math isn't very good there, but, you know, get the picture. But it's much more expensive. It's, you know, five, six times the price. And I was trying to keep in my head that for some people that is too much. And perhaps it's about choosing a chicken that has been bred indoors, but has more space, has sunlight, has toys. The other thing I looked at was pigs. I went to Denmark. Uh, There's a picture here of me with the pigs. Maybe people can notice, but they don't have tails because you can't have tails with intensive pigs. And lastly, I went into abattoirs. And again, that was quite upsetting. Um, I did it because I felt like it was part of the true story. And again, people say, well, why did you go back? And the answer is the farmers I met, because they were really good people working very hard to provide nutritious food. So I wanted to follow it all the way through, because that's part of what they're doing. And I believe in them, actually, in the farmers in this country. Full stop, actually, I'm going to say. Not just the small organic ones. So I think if you're going to eat meat to respect the people who raise it and the people who process it on your behalf. I did a home slaughter that was really intense. There's some pictures there of me, like, learning some butchery. I mean, that, again, is a little bit like the fishing. It sounds like an odd analogy, but it would really sort of connected me to where the food was from and the people who I was doing it with and the animal made it very special, really made me appreciate the meat. I took that home and was eating pork from my freezer for months and I always understood where it came from and it tasted very, very different from anything I've ever bought. So labels to look out for. People often ask, oh, right, so what should I eat? What label should I look out for? And I don't think you can trust any label. You have to take responsibility for yourself and find out about 
meat and farming and where it's from to really um, make decisions because labels can always change but I think there are some really good ones like Marine Stewardship Council for Fish and um, Organic and Just Eat Less. How many people have seen Cowspiracy, the film? They, they make the point that NGOs that are campaigning to reduce climate change very seldom mention meat, but eating less meat is an easy way to reduce your carbon footprint. But I don't think people should just do it because it's on a piece of paper. If you really think about where meat's from, you possibly don't want to eat quite so much. And perhaps if we connected more with where our food came from, that would happen quite naturally. And I looked at alternatives. I ate insects. Uh, Here's me eating some... I think they are grasshoppers, but crickets are good. And I don't like any of the mealworm stuff. Sorry, just can't do it. I don't think it'll ever be huge, but I think you'll see it more in protein bars, maybe cereals added as a supplement because it's a really good way to raise protein. The first insect farm in the UK in Cumbria has just been set up. So it is coming onto the market. Also in vitro meat grown in labs. A lot of vegans have said that they would eat that. So we might see that in the future. I think I'd rather just have proper meat and have it occasionally but maybe maybe that will be an option and of course plant proteins which we're already seeing they're getting much better you know you know uh, vegetarian chicken nuggets and things like that are improving so people ask what am I doing now I am still going out shooting the occasional rabbit because I want to carry on learning I never wanted to do this as a one-off and a gimmick because it's too important and it takes a lot of time to learn these skills and I eat less meat and I try to look at alternatives as well what I call being an ethical carnivore. Because the point of the book was to talk to those people who are concerned, but give them information and options. So I'll open it out now for us to have a really good discussion. But I have a question myself first, because I found Soho Farmhouse is um, an amazing, beautiful place to be. And it's an image of the countryside that we really like. But the question for me is, do you want this image of the countryside to be real? For there to be cattle and pigs perhaps beyond this uh, beyond this place or perhaps in a more vegan future this place will just be created to bring us back to something that happened in the past when we did have animal agriculture but perhaps we just have it as a place to come and relax like here like the buildings and the landscape but actually uh, we're eating vegan alternatives and in vitro meat it's quite an interesting future when you think about it but I'll let you guys um ask some questions and enjoy the venison and is the pigeon going around as well yes yum okay great that's kind of my favorite anyone got any questions when you when you kill the animals yourself yeah how do you know they don't suffer well that was um a big part of the book looking at that philosophically and that's really what stopped me when i did do the first kill i didn't do it as well as i could have done i had to take on responsibility for that and i don't think you ever know And that's the point. Like, I go in in the book and describe how meat's processed and how we're trying to invent abattoirs and equipment to minimise suffering. But I personally don't say no suffering because you're killing an animal and there is always a risk. So when you eat meat, you take responsibility for that being a risk. And I accept that in the book and write about it. Otherwise, it had to be a different book. Otherwise, it's a book about veganism, and that's a a different book. But but you can make your own decision, and and some people do take that line, like Peter Singer, and there's some big philosophers who very much believe that. (laughs) Yeah, any other questions? 
What's your take on the scalability aspect to your sort of way of living? Because I think that's, for me, that's the biggest thing. And the reason that I went vegan was the sort of global, you know, um, food security and that side of things. And so obviously, you know, I would love, I, you know, I still do like the taste of meat and everything else. And I'd love to be able to sort of live like that. But people can't go out and, you know, kill animals themselves there, yeah. you know, um, on a on a sort of, on a much more scalable level. Yeah, uh, well, I've tried to look at some statistics of that. I can't do the whole thing myself. There's a book called um, Benign Extravagance by Simon Fairley, and he talks about default livestock, which is livestock from pasture that couldn't be used for other things, that is eating waste, that is a pest. And he thinks we could eat off that if we halve the amount of meat that the world is currently eating. And I personally think it's a bit geographic because if you live in southern India where people have been vegetarian for years, I mean, why would you eat meat? Like, you've got a really good diet. But if you live in Gloucestershire where there's a pig farmer next door, then I feel like that could possibly be part of your sustainable diet. So you have to make the decisions. But I do accept what you're saying about global concerns. And veganism is, like, quite a good straight answer because it is a lesser footprint i've made a personal decision to continue eating meat and try and do it the best way possible but i don't think i can answer you i don't think i can honestly say hey if everyone does that climate change is going to be okay uh i think it's about personal decisions i'm just wondering if after doing it you had a sense of the what is the right balance that would be helpful for the the masses if you like to aspire towards in terms of consumption of meat or fish when you're taking that balance of the argument, you know, um, yeah. the, env- the environmental So you should be sort of UK-wide or... Like... Yeah, so, I mean, you want to sort of support British farming by yes. obviously having eating some amount of meat, yeah, but yeah, equally, yeah. is there a right balance? People have asked that question and really wanted figures, and there is a Friends of the Earth report and WWF done a report, and to get back to the conspiracy thing, they've done them quite quietly because they're frightened of um, appearing like the nanny state and telling people what to eat. Mm. But from memory, I might have to double-check this, but it's like two and a half. So it's like a steak and uh, a piece of chicken and bacon in a week. So those statistics are out there, but I kind of feel so it's about metabolism and and human and and preference um and i know it's going down overall the amount of meat we eat in the country but the amount of processed meat is going up slightly and the amount we buy from butchers is crashing and i actually think that's a bit of a shame because there's a lot of awful and interesting cuts and butchers are a way for farmers to get their good meat out there so i'd like to see people sort of eating more of that but i'd like to see us not think that we need to eat meat for two meals a day every day of the week thanks again for coming it's the first time i've been to soho farmhouse and i think it just fits in quite interestingly to me with my book because it's celebrating the countryside but also it i guess it's the future as well because it will sit alongside much more modern ways of farming so it's quite interesting to be here thanks a lot everyone This programme was brought to you by Soho House and Radio Wolfgang and was presented by me, Louise Gray. 